You're listening to the Grossed Out Podcast with Rob Gross. It's me. I'm Rob Gross. All right, welcome to episode two of the Grossed Out Podcast. Uh, this is round two. We tried this the other night, and oh, I fucked up. I fucked up bad. So um, I am super excited for the first time, for the second time, for the first time, to welcome Mark Vieira to the podcast. Uh, Mark's a really good friend of mine, and I really wanted to have him on to talk about all things Glenn Danzig related. So, all right, let's do the intro about Mark. Let's tell you about Mark, shall we? He has been in the music industry since 1997, um, has been a roadie, a merch guy, a publicist. He's run labels. He's been a product manager. He's done a Most of his time has been in management as both an assistant and as a main manager, mostly in the punk and extreme metal worlds. Today, he works with the casualties, Black Metal Legends 1349, Tombs, Black Tusk, Ringworm, Vitriol, Cloak, Bewitcher, and many more. Mark, welcome to the Grossed Out Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to do this again. <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, for I guess, for people that, that understand one of the five maybe people that are listening that will get this reference specifically is that Mark sounded wonderful, like those dulcet, sexy tones that he has. <laughs> and I sounded like Dan from Zayo. It was just this gargled fucking mess so we're gonna pretend like that didn't happen and we we originally set out to do was to talk about the misfits as mark was doing his research and as we were having our conversations like we do and going off on tangents we realized that we were really talking about the breadth of the career of glenn danzig so i guess what i want to do is kind of switch it up from where we were and kind of talk about what got you, Mark, into Glenn Danzig's music from the beginning, which obviously was The Misfits? So, yeah, I first my first exposure to anything Danzig-related was, I believe, around 87, um, when Metallica released Garage Days Re-Revisited EP, um, which, of course, they covered a couple of Misfits tracks, as well as Killing Joke and others. Um on uh, so I'm not so I'm not a hundred percent sure if that was the initial oh this is the Misfits or it was the fact that Metallica were known for wearing Misfits shirts in every pro like every photo they were in in you know the mid mid late 80s before they just basically started wearing their own merch oh, uh, to, to to Newstead it would be uh, would be the term yeah exactly <laughs> I need a new I need a new T-shirt let's go to the merch table. Yeah, <laughs> So I, so I'm not sure if we, if my, my friend and I, who kind of had this like heavy metal music journey together in grade school, I'm not sure if we had, you know, inspector gadgeted and discovered the misfits name through the logo or how we came to figure that out or whether it was the Metallica actually covering them. But anyway, that's sort of when they start to come into my conscience is, or consciousness or whatever, like around 87 or so. When uh, when I was about ten, um, and then following year in eight, uh, in eighty eight, um, I we used to my I used to go to um, sports events with my uh, with my dad in Boston. He worked in Boston and had had like his company had season tickets dating back to the seventies for you know the Celtics and the Red Sox, and yeah. um, we grew up about an hour from there, or I grew up about an hour from there, 
And uh, like one of the treats of going to a game up there was I would usually get to go to a Strawberries. Strawberries was a regional uh, music chain um, that was actually pretty cool. It was usually what? a little deeper than Record Town or Tape World or like we didn't have coconuts, but like a coconuts, it was like better than that. They sold concert tickets. Like it was a cool spot. Um, and where I grew up, like we didn't really have anything like that at the time. We ended up actually getting a strawberries a couple, a couple of years later, but like going to Boston was cool because like, you know, the guys working at the store, you know, the people working at the store, you know, like were clearly like metal heads or punk rockers and had tattoos. Right, and right. it was like a little more like legit, like, Oh, this is kind of scary. So, you know, like I, um, had bought a bunch, you know, they had a bunch of cool, like, you know, exposed to a bunch of cool stuff at those stores. Um, and on one trip home, we actually stopped at one in the suburbs, uh, in Brockton, which is sort of in the middle and they had a strawberries. My friend and I, like my dad was like, you know, both of you can get like one cassette. So we sort of decided we were going to try this misfits thing out and kind of found like got a guy to help us find the misfits. We were really confused because he was like, oh, they're a hardcore band. And I was like, I thought hardcore was rap. And I had no idea what was going. Neither of we were just like, okay, like, yeah, that's got skulls. That's the right band. And then he was also like, oh, we've got this too. It, it, you know, it recently came out. It's the singer of that band's new band. And it was the first dancing record. So that's where I've chiseled up. This is like 88-ish. Like me, it could be, it could be as late as 89. But, um, so we decided I was going to, I bought for the first dancing cassette and my buddy Dave bought the fur uh bought misfits evil live so we put the misfits in in the car on the way home and so i guess the first misfits song i've the first misfits song i heard performed by the misfits is 20 eyes evil live is one of the worst sounding live records of all time um yeah no it really i I used this the other night but i mean it really does sound like somebody shoved a tape recorder up a baboon's butt and had him sit in the back corner of the club So like not the best intro and like I had never heard anything really that fast. Like, you know, I mean like thrash metal, like, you know, anthrax and metallic and stuff are, are fast, but it doesn't feel the same as listening to something like the misfits for the first time where it it feels like complete chaos. It does. It does. So it was, that was a bit weird. And then, um, at some point, not too long after that, I had gone to the public library in my, in my, where I went to grade school. And there was a kid who was working at the library, like as like, you know, an assistant or, you know, helper person. And, uh, he was wearing a crimson ghost shirt and he had like, it was like the eighties, you know, late eighties style. He had like the Tony Hawk, like swoop hair and like air walks. They all did. Yeah. And then, uh, I, I did very briefly when I had hair. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so I said like, I was like, Oh dude, nice shirt. And he was like, Oh, do you know what this is? And I was like, yeah, it's the Misfits. And he was like, whoa, how do you know, how do you know who they are? And so I kind of just told him basically the story I just told you guys. And he was like, oh, wow. And he's like, so you only have Evil Live? I was like, yeah, I have that like dubbed on a cassette, which by the way, the, the other side of that cassette is Metallica Garage Days re-revisited. Um, and I still have it. Um, and he was like, oh, he's like, if you bring me a blank, you know, Memorex tape, I'll just throw a bunch of misfit stuff on for you. And like, when you come to bring the books back in two weeks, bring me a cassette and then I'll bring it the next, you know, for the next time. So sure enough, like whatever, four weeks later, I had this like misfits mixtape. Well, that's, um, I mean like the, the patience that we all had back then is just, I can't even explain how frustrating that would be for somebody today. Like, Oh no, 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 I'll do this for you. But like in four weeks and you're like, all right, sick. That works. 
Yeah, no, totally. Like, I mean, like mail order, you know, like that was sort of typical. Like, you know, you would, you'd put a dollar in an envelope and like, you know, eight months later, you'd have like a, a catalog would show up from a label or a band or whatever, you know, and yep. some stickers. And you were like, man, I, for, I forgot, I, I, for, I forgot about this band. Um, I mean, hell, like, yeah, it's, we're in such a, such a, like such an instant gratification world now. Like I've like been ordering, like, especially during the you know pandemic, I've, you know, I've been just sort of ordering stuff from small businesses, like mostly like t-shirt kind of like novelty companies and whatnot. Um, I don't want to use the term bootleg, but yeah, it's definitely bootleg stuff. Same. And, and, uh, you know, and it's like stuff's like, I, like, I'm like, I ordered this three weeks ago. When is this coming? You know? And it's like still hasn't still out here and i'm sort of like i'm like looking out the window every day like is is (laughs) the mailman here you're waiting you're waiting on a danzig hoodie and like i think it's from either a similar or the same company that i ordered a how the gods kill long sleeve um uh, uh fan shirt from and it's it's awesome i mean honestly it's better than most band merch uh, yeah, I think it, I believe I know which one you're talking about, and I think it is a different company. But I follow them on Instagram as well. Yep. I'm, we're not going to say either of them to blow no. blow up their spots, but yeah, no. I, <laughs> and no, and I or I have there's other stuff too that I've ordered that I'm like, oh, oh, it's not Amazon. That's right, it's not going to get here in three days. Like That's this right. kid, this kid's going to run off the two dozen shirts he printed, you know, that he sold on Instagram and then he's going to mail them out. And, um, but yeah, so yeah, no, it's, that's crazy frustrating, but yeah. So that cassette, I, I, I have lost and refound several times throughout my life and I found it in the past couple of years and I was super stoked about it because it's like, it's such a linchpin moment for me and in looking for stuff to, you know, to send to send to you when we were doing this, I, now I can't find the cassette again. So I couldn't even tell you what's on it. It's probably honestly like a good portion of their output because it's a, it's one side of a, of a 90 minute tape and it runs onto the other. So it's probably an hour of music, which is probably pretty damn close yeah. to like the entire Misfits catalog. It's got to be probably a collection at least. Yeah. I mean when when I saw when I saw the Misfits in 96 on the reunion tour and I saw them three times, they were playing like you know, a 90, maybe slightly longer than 90 minute set and like my friend and I were pretty nerdy about this and we were pretty sure that they played like almost the entire catalog of, of what was available at that time. Um, you know, there was a couple of exceptions, but like, you know, we could fi- we could count like one or two songs like, Oh, they didn't play this, right. didn't play this, but I think they played everything else. Can so you, yeah, like can you, you can like whip through their whole entire catalog of the original stuff in, you know, under two hours easily. I mean, that's amazing. Can you imagine if you did this and it was like dream theater and you were like, cool. So when they serve breakfast at the intermission, it's like 12, 15 hours of music and the misfits are like, we'll wrap this shit up in 87 minutes. Yeah. Like, Hey, can you make me a Mars Volta mixtape? Like I'm going to need a couple of those. Yeah, for sure. So, so yeah, so that was um so that was my introduction, and then of course I had the Danzig cassette, which I didn't latch onto as an eleven year old because like, kind of you know blues based hard rock you know metal, you know didn't really it wasn't really my thing at that point. I guess it wasn't probably flashy enough, and like also too like I I I I am I was a dipshit and remain a dipshit. But like as as a younger dipshit, like the lyrics didn't like do anything for me. Like it was really it was really in high school when Mother became a single again on the Thrall Live 
EP thing that like at that point I was like, Oh, all right, cool. Like these lyrics kind of evil and like, you know, about hell and stuff. And like, and then I kind of went back and was like, Oh, all right, like this is cool. But yeah, like out of the gate, like Danzig did nothing for me, but I wouldn't really expect like a kid to like connect with like Danzig the band. No, because I think I think you know at, at least as um, we t- we touched on this on the last first episode that never happened was that the only time at least that I can think of in that er- in in the Glenn era of the Misfits that they really touched on what Danzig became was American Nightmare and it. The, it, you're not ready for that kind of shit when you're 11 years old. Like I, I wasn't. I became a Danzig fan from that EP as well. So we're, I'm three years younger than you. So I was 13, and it was it was amazing. But I had no idea. Like I had to go back and buy like Danzig one, two, three. Like I didn't know any of that shit. I was not like I was listening to Guns N' Roses, some hardcore, but like the straight edge vegan stuff. So it, it was a, a, it was like, wait, why am I listening to like Dark Elvis? I mean, that's cool, but I, I I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah, for sure. And like, and like again, something that we touched on in the the episode that never happened was like like you said, American nightmare as far as like kind of stylistically like the dark Elvis thing, but then like also as far as like lyrically, like, you know, like you get to see them like with the last record, you know, with, um, earth AD, that's really when you start to see the shift in Glenn overall, because like the misfits, I like initially like the early, like the very first stuff isn't horror. Like they weren't a horror themed band. Like they're named after a Marilyn Monroe song. Like it kind of had dark kind of vibes, but it wasn't like, a horror band. Whereas like then they start, you know, singing about zombies and aliens and vampires and werewolves. And it's like, they become very much like universal, you know, the universal studio monsters and like the hammer films. Like it's very campy horror stuff. By the time you get like, by the time you get to earth AD, when at this point, like Glenn is more or less checked out of the misfits anyway, and has started looking to put together his next thing. And like the band has basically already fallen apart, but they decide to give, like to go into the studio and do one more record. And that's where like musically, like it's obviously a much more aggressive band and they're much more comparable to like, I mean, you could call it a lot of the punk rock stuff. They did hardcore, but like at that point with like earth AD, they are definitely like riding the line of like a hardcore band, like a sick of it all or like agnostic front. It's like much more metal influenced. It's heavier. Um, and lyrically at that point, he's shifted from like spooky ghosts to like, now he's like actually starting to kind of go into like demons and possession and like that, like the ultimate evil is sort of like, like you don't have to worry about Frankenstein showing up at your door. It's the guy that lives next door. Like right, not directly, right. but it's like they, it's like real evil as opposed. And that's like what you start to see. Like he moves into like Sam Hain from that. And that's obviously a theme lyrically that's continued with him, you know, for the three and a half decades really since that point. Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting point you bring up because I think like visually when I would be in the record store and I didn't know what was what, and you see those Sam Hain album covers, that's the first time that you look at something and you're like, holy shit, what is this? Like, I'm actually, like, frightened of this. I have to hear this. And the music obviously, like, wasn't quite – it's almost – I don't want to call it, like, the kiss quotient where it's blood and fire and fucking demons and you listen to the music and it's like the Carpenters. It's not that. It's just – it wasn't uh, Sam Hain is great. It just until Danzig, it didn't really hit that stride for me personally. Yeah, I mean, well, musically, like Sam Hain, like, and I'll be 
completely honest about this. And I think that this goes for a lot of fans of Danzig. They're sort of the missing piece in the whole thing because people love the Misfits. They love Danzig. They love both. Some love one more than the other. But Sam Haynes usually is like sort of the like one that's left out. It's like the black sheep of his bands. And like, and I mean, and part of that is the fact that it is fairly unavailable. Um, I like none of those albums are in press in any format at this point. They're not on any DSPs that I could find. Um, and, and if they're not on Spotify and Apple, like I'm assuming that they're not on any, um, there's probably some up on YouTube. I actually didn't look on YouTube um, because I was actually listening to Black Aria on YouTube today to get ready for this. I've had an interesting musical day. Yeah, um, I was following along a little bit. It's like, wait, you're, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, like, because I spent, like, I spent the chunk of last week, like, going through, like, really, like, parsing through the Misfits because I really wanted to tell you my favorite song was, like, in the doorway, like I really wanted to blow people's socks off with like, oh, like that fucking cool guy record store dork, you know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know what song? Rat Fink. That's really the Spook City USA. And then like I just kind of was like spent so much time listening. I was like, it's probably like where Eagles there or die die my darling. And you know, so like now I'm like, so I went from like having a week to prep to having like 48 hours. So I was like. I went through all like I went through the Sam Hain catalog. I finished that this morning, then jumped to Black Aria. And then you told me, but like you were like, oh, the lost the dancing lost tracks album, like that's one that's not available anywhere either, or it wasn't the last time you looked. And then I looked on Spotify, and sure enough, it was on Spotify. It's there now, yeah, yeah. So I downloaded it, and when I went out on, I went out and ran some errands and like walked around for a bit. So I listened to that entire thing this afternoon, and then came back and finished Black Aria. So it's been like a weird day, but I wanted to like kind of have everything in my mind <laughs> no it, it's, it's just like all i wanted to do on this was just basically say like you know mark ain't no goddamn son of a bitch and that would have worked perfectly with your like perfectly predictable favorite song if that would if that, if that what it was but it's like look at least your favorite song is a glenn song i mean mine is dig up her bones it's like a fucking michael graves era song which i stand by those records but we don't have to get into that Right. I mean, I think we can we can do a very brief detour. We went we went a little deep into the Graves era on the first run 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 around on this thing, but I like the Graves records. Um, going to see the Graves lineup, um, like I said, I saw them three times. I saw them in D.C., Providence, and Lancaster, PA, on that very first tour, um, and that's very much when. Like Graves, Graves has no background in punk rock. He doesn't know who the Misfits are. He kind of gets this gig like by accident. He's recording demos for some reason. Now I've heard over the years various stories as to why he's recording demos. Some is that he is in a band. Some is that he is looking to join a band of some sort. So he's doing like demos to give to people. Like, hey, you looking for a singer? I've also heard that he was looking. He was doing demos to do like musical theater, like Broadway kind of stuff. Well, that would definitely explain the top hat some years later. Yes. See, the top hat always comes back. It always does. Uh, um, and so like you could very, it was very clear on that first tour that like Jerry had sat him down with VHS tapes of Glenn from the heyday because I mean, he was dressed like Glenn. He had the same hairstyle. He was doing Glenn. I mean, he was doing a really good job of Glenn. Like he was like, he had the same stage motions and stuff. Um, so, I mean, it was great. And I mean, they were, they were a phenomenal band and they were really good. Um, and then they start to become their own band, which 
it, it presents some some hurdles where yes, it's the Nisfits, but they probably should have changed their name. And I think people would care more if they had, um, because those are good records. They don't really sound like the classic Misfits. They kind of sound more like the Christ the Conqueror stuff that Jerry and uh, Doyle had done. Like it's definitely more metal, but like it's not. Not hardcore. It's not like cock rock metal, but it's kind of kind of metal, metal adjacent. Well, it, um, I, I think it just falls into that category because he could. This is no knock at Glenn whatsoever. Like the my, my favorite thing about Glenn Danzig is that when you go see him live, it sounds fucking great. I mean, I'm not saying every time, but more times than not, it sounds great because the records. He, he's it, that's just how it sounds. There's no over glossing. There's no over hyping. You just get what you get. And with Graves, he was an actual singer, like a real mm-hmm. vocalist. So I think. The same riff would sound more, albeit like theatrical, eighties rockish. Just having Graves sing that song. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would be. It's like sort of the same thing as having like Dickinson do the Diano era Maiden stuff. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and again, that's not a knock on either vocalist because I love. I love both of them and like the albums they're on and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, like Bruce brings something like. Bruce brings something different to those songs and not like in that he's changing them, but like they're, they're just better. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what to expect at that show either. And it's like, fuck you. You're singing these like virtual, it was like one song from virtual X and one song from the other one. It's like, wow, these actually were pretty good with like a, with no disrespect to, 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 to Paul, but or to Paul. Oh no, those are the, those are the blaze Bailey albums. Yeah. But right. But he sang, Oh, he sang, he sang songs from all, from both other singers that were not Bruce. He did. Yes, he did. Yeah. And I like I like I'm not familiar with the Blaze Bailey stuff. Like at that point, I was disinterested enough with metal and had moved on to other things that I didn't need to hear them with their new singer. Same. And, and basically, the same goes for Judas Priest as well. Like I don't know any of the stuff they did with Ripper. See, now that's a whole lot. Like Jugulator is actually a really good record, and Demolition is not. But there's like two. It almost sounds like Fight. It's so weird that those two Priest records without Rob Halford sound like Rob Halford without Judas Priest. Interesting. I, I I'll check them out because I actually liked Fight. I saw Fight in I saw, concert. I saw Fight too. They were. It was. It was Fight. Suicidal Candlebox for some reason and Metallica on the live shit tour because yes back then Metallica was so fucking massive they got to tour a live box set huh mm-hmm. interesting yeah no I did not I saw them with Goberg off uh, going on a tangent but you, do you remember a band called Monster Voodoo Machine uh, dude okay alright hold up I love Monster Voodoo Machine, and this goes even deeper. Anyone that knows me knows I have a weird connection to all things Canadian music and what have you, and I had no idea the band was Canadian. They were signed to RCA. They were like this white zombie rip, but they they wrote good songs, and... They, um, <laughs> what ended up happening is that, like, fast forward to last year, and one of my buddies at work, Jeff Christian, is like, Do you know Monster Voodoo Machine? Yeah. And then I started putting the pieces together. I had worked with his brother's band at Dynalone, this awesome, like, psychedelic heavy band called Biblical. And his <coughs> brother fronts that band, and then the other guy is in Monster Voodoo Machine. Weird. Very weird. Yeah. So I saw. So I saw them twice. I saw them open for Manson on Portrait of American Family tour, it, like when they were playing Club Babyhead, which is the same place I had seen the Misfits, which was like a three hundred cap club. Um, and I saw Monster Voodoo Machine on that, and then 
when they were coming through a few months later with fight i was like oh this is like i went out and bought the album or, or the cassette rather but like so yeah i like yeah i've never like that's one of those bands like i never talk about because i just assume nobody remembers them but they were really cool yeah. i mean at the time i would love to actually go back i wonder so, if that's it is so there's their one big record and they're big i say that their one major label record is up there supper system and then the ep that preceded it or just came out it, it you know, it, it holds up in the same way that you want it to hold up. 680 monthly listeners. Oof. I'm going to help these help these guys out. It was, it was 679 before I listened to it about a week ago. Yeah, Suffer System. Here it is. Yeah, Bastard is as Bastard does. Yeah, they were good. And I would say, like, yeah, they, I get, they fall into that, like, you know, that, like, Nine Inch Nails had gotten big. And so, yeah, White Zombie and Manson were getting signed. They were, like, less... They were less theatrical than those bands. Like I remember them kind of looking like a metal band, like just normal kind of Hesher. Do you know? Yeah, I think it took it, it rode this line between the two major label White Zombie records, so it had the electronics, but mm-hmm. it was, but it wasn't driven by the electronics. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, we were. Anyway. Woo. <laughs> I never, definitely, I'm definitely listening to this record later on, though. Listen, I mean, who knew the Monster Voodoo Machine podcast? <laughs> Should we just shift and do that? Fucking um, shift. But uh, so yeah, so anyway, so yeah, the Graves stuff. I think is like those two albums with Graves are good. I think they stand up. I still listen to them. Like I'm not going to listen. I like it's not a regular rotation thing. But I I enjoy both records. And like my controversial hot take is, I think Saturday Night is the best Misfits song of all time. It is. I mean, look, it, we, we talked about this at length. That like that, that that song is so fucking good that if if a if a pop band were to cover that, it'd be a massive hit. I, I feel that way. Or maybe, yeah, or maybe. I know I can see that. Like, I, like you know, and like we kind of like if we want to sort of like it's the most Danzig thing that the non Danzig band did. And that, and that they did like a fifties, sixties, like rock ballad kind of track. And, you know, and this leads to the, the less than zero connection Mm -hmm. where my, probably my favorite song Glenn Danzig has ever done is the theme song from less than zero. Which is like, and that soundtrack is so good, and and I think it's one of those that gets lo- that gets lost a lot, but it does come up. I think because like obviously Slayer's on there, and I think that and, and you were you were talking to me about the Roy Orbison connection. Yeah. So hold on. Oh, I was trying to get the name of the damn. It's something slash less than zero. What's the name of the? Uh, I don't. You and me. You and me. Parentheses less than zero is the name of the track, and it's it's credited as Glenn Glenn Danzig and the Power and Fury Orchestra. Uh, and what I read today, I believe, was that it's credited to that because initially, like Erie Vaughn was playing on it and didn't like the way that Ruben wanted him to do the bass part, so he basically walked out. So Ruben just put a studio band together to oh, do the song with him. I didn't know that. Uh, that that I found that on the Wikipedia. Wow, I should look that site up once in a while. Yeah, um, so God only knows if it's accurate. Um, I, yeah, it very well. May, I, I might be on like eight chan. Look, you know the musical version of eight chan. I'm just getting weird conspiracy theories that make no sense. But like, oh yeah, no, like that was supposed to be Yuri Vaughn. Um, but also on that soundtrack, Glenn wrote the song "Life Fades Away" that Roy Orbison does, which is a phenomenal song. 
it's that's probably the best song on that album on the soundtrack um and glenn wrote it um and it's credited to him and roy so i'm not sure like what the split was but yeah glenn was definitely involved with that track and i mean like like now here we are like 30 years later and glenn has done he did his elvis six is it 67 68 comeback special uh, 60, uh, let's just say 68. It sounds right. Late, the Elvis late 60 special where he did his version of that, um, that was released like online and has now done the Elvis tribute record. And some of the stuff on skeletons reflects that. And I really wish that Glenn had tried to do something like this in the nineties, even early two thousands. Well, he covered, he covered, a, a an Elvis song that escapes me on the thrall EP as one of like the four new song, the studio songs. But it's but the the Roy Orbison thing is interesting because if you think about a guy coming from this like, you know th- this this groundbreaking genre defining hardcore punk you know horror rock whatever you want to call it band and then to go ahead write a song for Roy Orbison and then also, the song Thirteen basically gave it to Johnny Cash because Cash re-recorded it and he was like I can't top that this song is now yours and hasn't played it since. Oh wow! I didn't. I actually didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, he covered Trouble on Trouble, For All right. Demon Sweat Live. Right. Um, so he, it's always been there. And like, yeah, I just like, I would love to have heard a more in his prime Danz, more in his prime Danzig have done like a record of either covers or pre- preferably originals in that very like Vegas Elvis style because he had the voice for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, he's always like. He's always lived there and like sort of like like the calling him the dark Elvis isn't something we came up with or like is a new concept. Like that's been a thing for as long as fucking Danzig has been around. Like, oh, 100%. like you know, like he definitely leans into the Elvis Jim Morrison kind of crooner thing a lot. He does. And I think it took him until this is my opinion anyway, but until Danzig four. It's, that's when he really like honed in on it, owned it because half of that record is so Elvisy and Jim Morrisony more than the other. Because on the other ones, it feels like he like obviously like Killer Wolf and things like that. There's he he's flirting with it and it's there, but the music isn't always kind of matching up to that that sound. But on Danzig Four, he just went like balls deep on it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, even, like, if you think about, like, even, like, How the Gods Kill It, like, the song How the Gods Kill Itself, like... Oh, true, true. Not How the Gods Kill, comma, itself. Um, Like, I mean, even just to think, like, if you... And I'm sure you've probably, at some point, like, checked this out, but if you haven't, and if anybody listening hasn't, find the My Morning Jacket cover of that song. Oh, interesting. Oh, Oh, Rob, I'm disappointed. Well, I mean, listen, <laughs> and here's the thing is that I love my morning jacket. They, I, I, um, to tie back to the first episode on the, on the 2006 Pearl Jam avocado self-titled tour, Anna and I saw them live nine times within like a week and a half. They were just crushing the Northeast while we were living there. And my morning jacket opened every show. So we saw them eight times. The one time they didn't was this VH1 storytellers taping and my morning jacket showed up to the taping. So 
they were great. They played a different set every night. They have metal roots. They have a song called Holding On to Black Metal that has an unbelievably good riff. This does not shock me. I'm just disappointed in myself. I don't. Yeah, know. I wish they've never really they've never released a version of it. Like you got to find it on YouTube, which is sad because they should record it. But like just to hear them do it, like you can hear like how easily something like, uh, you know, how the gods kill like a very kind of like. You know, it's still like a Danzig heavier song, but how easily it tra- like it translates to like this like bluesy roots Americana act, you know? Sure. And like even even today, like you know, like I like I said, I went through the Lost tracks, the entire fucking twenty six songs of it. Um, there's a couple of songs on there that like for let me first say that like a this was the today was my first day listening to the. Lost Tracks album. I completely forgot it existed. There is some absolute bangers on that record. Mm-hmm. Um, like, real good. Like, better yeah. than stuff that's been on a lot of his albums? For, for sure. I, I couldn't believe how good some of those songs were when I first heard them when they came out, especially, and this is not knocking the guy, I don't think he's had a consistent record since Danzig 4. So I was very, like, it's like a treasure trove, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Danzig Four, like with the the, the dissolving of the like the <clears throat> original, the classic lineup in quotes, um, which I would agree agree with. That, that is the like that's sort of the he could want you know he called the new band Danzig he called the band Danzig so he wouldn't have to change names after lineup changes. Mm-hmm. But like after Danzig Four, that really is the end. Like then we step into a new era of Danzig. Totally. Like that is a cohesive band there. And then you start getting into, he gets industrial. He starts bringing in different people. He's got, you know, there are people like, if you go through people that have played with Danzig over the years, like there are people that played with him for years, but were never on a record, you know, like guys that have been in and out, like, like John, uh, John Kelly now who's, plays drums now and has been in the band for years. He had a couple of stints with Glenn before this, like before he just like had this 12 year stint with him or however long it's been. He had like a couple of like one, two year stints in there. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, look at, look up the, like his personnel after Danzig four, it's just wild. Well, it's, I, I know that on black acid devil, which is, I guess, Danzig five, it was like Jerry Cantrell's on two tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like, you know, uh, you know, Tommy from prong joined Joey Castillo was on drums for a few records. It's, it, you know, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of, and that's the thing is that there's like always a song or two on, on each record. Like the one I, I shared with you today, uh, off of circle of snakes, which I think is Danzig seven, it's a fucking banger. The riff is insane, but the production's not great. And it's like you those first four Danzig records are so important and they're so pivotal and they're just so good and they 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 hold up. Those records will be listened to forever. So to go from that to then what it kind of turned into, it, yeah. I'm sure well, like yeah. Like yeah, Todd Youth never recorded with Glenn. Um at least from what I can tell, he did and like for anybody, Todd Youth is a New York hardcore legend, New York punk rock legend who passed away a few years ago, on yeah. f- very sadly. But like he was in Agnostic Front and was in Warzone and was more famously known for being in Murphy's Law and then was in Degeneration, mm-hmm. was in a band called Chrome Locust. He was in Chelsea Smiles. He's like, he is filled in with Motorhead. 
He was in Glenn's band for a couple of years, and we, I really wish he had recorded with Glenn. More recently, he had been in Blood Clot, which was John from the Cro-Mags kind of newer thing that put out a one record on Metal Blade. It was that's good. Jo- that, yeah, that's also Joey Castillo and Nick Oliveri from yeah. Queens and, again, 37 million other bands. <laughs> but that record's really good, and, like, yeah, it's, it's a shame that Todd never got to record with Glenn. He did do the... Um, he did get. He did play on the Son of Sam project that Glenn was involved with, which was basically the reunion lineup, the 90, late '90s Samhain lineup, with Davey Havoc from AFI on vocals instead of Glenn. But Glenn, I think Glenn is on the record at some point or another. I mean, dude, that 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 record. I'm so happy you brought that up because that record showed up when I was in college radio in Jacksonville in like 1998 or nine, and that record's fucking great. That might be my favorite thing that Davey Havoc's ever done. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, like, but just like listening to you Lost Tracks today, like there is definitely some songs that you can hear that you listen to and like you can pick up sort of like that Elvis or classic rock and roll vibe where like maybe it's a little buried in like the production or like because it comes off as a heavier song. And it might be White Devil Rise. Mm-hmm. But there was one track in particular that the first thing that like popped into my head as I was listening to it was like I was like I could totally hear this as like a Stone style like when they did the real like and I'm calling it Stone style and it's really not but this is my like white guyness but it's like when the Stones tried to do the real rootsy bluesy stompy like Sweet Virginia kind of stuff you know like yep. where they're stomping on the floor and clapping like I think it was White Devil Rise where I was like really like. I could totally hear this in that style. Like, obviously, strip away the production, but the song itself lends itself to a completely different genre. Totally. Well, quick question for you, because now that we're, like, fully immersed in the Danzig side of things, out of those, because I will be shocked if you say anything other than this, uh, than, than this, at least this group of grouping of albums, what's your favorite Danzig record? Uh, first one. It's the first one. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Do do you think that's because the connection you have with it when you first found it, or do you yeah? Think I think it's because I've been listening to it for, you know, give or take. You know, the first time I heard it was thirty two years ago, and then I went back to it twenty five, twenty six years ago, and it's been a constant since then. Whereas, admittedly, I don't spend as much time with two, three, four. They are great records, and I do hang out with them. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like. Dancing one is that dude that I'm always going to the bar with. That's a good analogy. Okay, so so you don't want to hang out with the whole nipple situation on Danzig too. I, look, I'm fine with the nipples. It's you know, it's <laughs> hey, look, everybody's got their kink. Um, but yeah, no, I, to me, it's like Danzig one has been in my car for you know, like because I still actually have a CD player in my car. Um, I do not. I uh, yeah, my car, my car is. It's at the cusp. It's like the last model that still had a CD player. Sure. But like, yeah, like I, Danzig One and like Danzig One and Misfits Collection One have been in my car since 2000. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, look. It, and I have just to clarify, I have not had the same car for 20 years. Whichever <laughs> car I have had, which has had a CD player, 
those have been in the CD player or I have, I still actually have like a, one of those like CD cases in my car. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to justify this. It's not like you're justifying a brilliant near flawless record. It's not like you're saying, look, and the reason why I have Smash Mouth's first record in my car all these years later, you don't have to do that. I, I, I'm just, I'm totally curious because yeah, the first one is the one. And then to me, I feel like I connected with Danzig two more and I don't know why, maybe because it's like, it's a long way back from hell has got to be one of the best album openers of all time. And then Danzig 4 was the first time that I saw them live. And I think that's what changed. Those songs are so good. And to see that live on that tour, one proves how old we are, but also like they were a force to be reckoned with at that time. They really were. Also, I mean, like, all right, so like, like, let's just for a second step step back here and like, let's look at the track listing. Mm-hmm. Twisted Kane, one of the best album openers. Like, the only, like, I can only think of like Hell's Bells off the top of my head where you're like, wow. Right. Oh, Opening track, I boom. Mean, Metallica's nailed it a few times, so is Megadeth, but I, but I, but I hear, like, I, like, if you're into that kind of metal, like, Holy Wars has got to be one of the best openers, or Blackened, or Battery, but I hear you. Yeah, like, you, basically, like, it just comes out of the gate so, so perfectly that it's just like, all right, you know, not <laughs> yeah. of this world, She Rides. She Rides is just like, that song has probably created so many genres and subgenres to itself, to its credit. Yeah, and like also so many, like so many strip dance routines. Definitely your own, mostly. Yeah, <laughs> well, that one, but that's an obvious. Um, however, Soul on Fire, probably my favorite Danzig song. Oh wow, I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah, no. See, now here with Danzig, I can go to that like because Danzig has enough of a catalog where you can honestly say like, oh, this kind of sleeper song really is my favorite, as opposed to the Misfits because they're either fucking great really good or there's a couple of tracks that like rat think that no one fucking cares about so like you can't really go deep with the misfits i think that that's where this uh you made the right choice on this redo because it, it just like there's so much more to get into when you talk about his entire career because look going from 1978 up to present day it's pretty fucking impressive Really is, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, he's had some misses over the last couple of years, but it's like to bring it back a little bit of full circle is that seeing the Misfits was that last year? To, to, I think it was twenty. I mean, it, time. it was last year. I looked it up the other night. It's like that was the first time I've seen them with. That was the first time I've seen them with Glenn, but the first time I'd seen them since '97, which was with Graves, and I, I you know, I think that it was. It was so much better than I expected because, as we discussed, my expectations were, like, below the bottom. It was just, like, this is going to be a bad cash grab, and it was definitely a cash grab, but I had a great fucking time. Yeah, I mean, like, it was a good show. My expectations were low. At that point, like... They had been doing shows for a couple of years, so I kind of knew what we were getting. I had seen plenty of video, despite his best efforts to put phones in bags and whatnot. Like, right, right, right. I, I knew, like, I had had a friend that had been to the Chicago show, which wasn't super long before that. So, like, I knew exactly what I was getting. The only, like, the only downside to that show was a. Because the Chromags were opening, and I really, I, I needed to experience the seeing that band 
in an empty arena because an empty stadium because clearly like you know when the doors are at three o'clock and you've got six bands or whatever like there's not going to be anybody there and there you know there was probably a couple of thousand people in a 20 plus thousand seat stadium so i kind of wanted to go for the spectacle of watching the current chrome mags lineup i it was a terrible terrible misjudgment like mis- <laughs> miscalculation it was the hilarity of it was not worth the being stuck in the stadium from then on out even though like i like anti nowhere league i've seen them a bunch of times they were fine again like now you're in the like i've seen this band in the club and it's been really fun and i'm watching them and now there's 5000 people in the 20 20- 2000 seat arena like great and then like the distillers were really good rise against who i'm not a massive fan of but i appreciate like they were really fucking good they you know that they sat down and were like we have to put all of our fucking hardcore songs into one set and just go for it and they yeah like you can't pull out like you can't pull out like the radio ballad with that crowd like that crowd already was like probably like they did i have no problem with rise against being on that and i think I, I will praise them. I will praise Misfits for this. Since they reunited, the bands they have picked as their openers have been really good. Whereas a lot of bands in their position would not put any fucking thought into it. And I'm sure in the case of the LA show, because it wasn't a stadium, that it probably like, and like I, I I'm sure that their agent put worked on this with live nation because I know, I know the agents that have been involved with this current Danzig reunion or I'm sorry, misfits reunion. And they're both like actual guys that put thought into stuff. But like, where is lot, where is look, like, look, you know, as well as I do, a lot of agents would just be like, Oh, I got this new band that's signed to the label. Let's put them on babe. And like, Oh cool. We have a rap rock band opening for misfits. Huh? So I'm sure that like, Rise Against are worth a lot of tickets, especially in LA. Like they're probably worth seven, eight. Like they're a band that like could probably headline the forum, like in in a scaled down forum. Oh, for sure. You know, like an eight thousand. You know, the forum scaled down to the eight ten thousand. They could probably do that no, without much of a problem. You nailed, um, you nailed it. I think of the two bands that have that have remained on a major label this entire time that I've been in the music industry. Probably the two that shocked me the most that still are so hyper-relevant in their respective worlds, Rise Against and Chevelle. Like, these bands sell records, they sell D2C numbers, they sell out tours, Mm -hmm. they play large rooms. I do not get it, but I'm... Yeah, I had a a band tour with Chevelle three, four, five years ago, and yeah, like, it, it did the tour, like, yeah, the tour was huge. People come out, like, and, like, honestly, like, I this is a tangent, but like those crowds, like, like, like they liked the silver snakes were on. It was silver snakes, a band who I, who are no longer around that I managed for many years, but like Great band. they did. Thanks. They did that tour and they did, they crushed it on the Chevelle tour. It, it, it makes sense because like silver snakes rode that like thrice sort of helmety Chevelle, but with a bit of nine inch nails lot where they could tour with any of those. Yeah. And go out and wow crowds that don't understand that you can go deeper than a Chevelle. No disrespect to them, but mm-hmm. that, yeah, 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 for sure. But, I mean like, yeah, honestly, like the best tours that that band did in there, like we kind of like when we sort of made this jump to do like tour with radio bands, we were all like, this is going to be weird. And like, honestly, like Chevelle and corn with breaking Benjamin, like dude that those crowd 
those crowds were like so fucking into them and like appreciate like and like when they would go back to those cities like those were the people that were showing up like these weird like old like dudes that oh, were man. like oh man like I saw you with corn. Like, I'm going to buy five of your T-shirts at this show. That's like when they would be headlining their own show, you know? Totally. A buddy of mine dragged me to a Breaking Benjamin show, and I was like, you know, I hadn't seen them in like, I don't know, 15 years when it was for work. And I went, and I'm like, they're tight band. Like, not my thing, but they're really good live. And if you're into that, then that's like the pinnacle, I guess. But they sold out that five-point amphitheater in Irvine, which is like 25,000 people. That's insanity. Which is actually where I saw Danzig last. Oh, amazing. Good way to bring it back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I, I mean, on, I mean, honestly, after if I if I hang out a little bit more with some of these lost tracks, a couple of these could potentially move, could eventually move into my uh, top tracks. Yeah, it's good. Like, th- th- there's there's a select few B side compilations over the years from the bands that I like that always. They're they're as good as studio records like Pearl Jam's Lost Dogs. Soundgarden Soundgarden has um, this whole live co- this uh, this whole B sides compilation they put out Echoes of Miles. There's probably two full records in there. Of, of, of I mean, some are covers like Devo covers, Sabbath mm-hmm. covers, but these songs they hold up and they Soundgarden them and, and like you know. Glenn put together, I'd say out of that 26 songs, he could have made a solid as fuck single disc record. Yeah, just, I'm like, just looking at this, like, Pain is Like an Animal, When Death Had No Name, and as we were texting earlier, Soul Eater, like, those are like three, like, banger album tracks. And I think I read that Pain is Like an Animal and maybe When Death Had No Name, but I'm but definitely Pain is Like an Animal was actually a Sam Hain leftover. Oh, weird. I didn't know that. Yeah, because Glenn, all of Glenn's, like, like a couple of the songs on Earth AD, Glenn had already written to take to his new thing, which would be Sam Hain, but he ended up using them with Earth, with the Misfits for Earth AD. Then, like, even during Sam Hain, he's got songs that, like, he's got a couple of, like, he redoes a couple of Misfits songs. Then he also does a couple of songs that will later become Danzig songs. Man, I, then, I love that. And then the last, the last Samhain record, which actually came out in '90, is actually the Danzig band doing songs that Glenn wrote for Samhain. Shit, I didn't know that either. I love this. Was my whole point of doing this podcast, right? Is that like I want to obviously want to talk to my friends and like, you know, just talk about bands because it's fucking fun. But my whole purpose in doing this was like I really want to learn shit. Like I, I have a coworker that wants to hop on this podcast, and she was like, "Do you want to do One Direction?" And I'm like, "I would like nothing more because I don't know fuck all about One Direction and." That's going to be interesting to me. So it's these little tidbits that get me excited that I want to now dig back into that record. I'm, I'm not going to judge you on that. You you should maybe you could, but you know, that's, nice. I've, I've actually never heard One Direction. Like I understand they're like just a massive band, but yeah, I never heard them no. or a group, not a band, but yeah, a couple of these tracks, I believe. Like I said, I positive because I read this recently, so it has not fallen out of my brain yet, that Pain is Like an Animal was originally going to be a Sam Hain song that made its way over. Huh. That's a, that's a, I wish more bands would have these smoother transition, like um, the Caius Queens transition, where they're like, why don't we just put out a split on Man's Ruin, signaling the end of one band and the start of a new one? And I'm, I'm sure it was more complex than that, but that in my mind, 
that's the perfect way to do this. You just segue. Yeah. That split's great. So do we want, do we want to talk about any of the live stuff or I do, I do. And I wanted to touch on, go ahead. No, I wanted to touch on that too, because I, I want to see where, like the question I want to ask usually when it comes to this is like, do you think this band is a live band or a studio band? And I think, it could go both ways because if you're talking about or, or multiple ways, talking about the Misfits, we've only seen the Michael Graves era in its prime, so to speak. But for Danzig, I haven't seen Danzig since 1994. I don't know if you have. I have. So I, I will say this, that I think I don't want to blow up the spot of the producer that said this. It's I, on an uh, album I work. I was involved with years ago where the producer was a member of another much more well-known band. The conversation came up about live versus studio and the like, we're working on this track and like, like, yeah, let's, let's add this, let's do that. And like the thing came up of, well, how are we going to pull this off live? And it was like, what, why did like, we're not talking about you playing live. We're talking about this record. And it was like, don't worry about like how you're going to pull it off live, make the best fucking song for the best album you can make and deal with the other stuff later. Sure. So like I view like, so like at, from that point on, like I view them as two separate things. And I realized that there is something to be said for bands that can play an album that sounds just like the play live and have it sound just like the album. Um, but like, that's also why I sort of like kind of disqualify live albums. Like I don't necessarily, and I might be in a minority on this. I don't necessarily see the need for live albums because a live, a live show is an experience. Like it's it, it's a one on one situation. Like well, it's it's a one on three thousand or how, whoever's there situation. I don't need that really replicated because like the how I feel when I see when I saw misfits at the 930 club in 1996 is how I felt at that moment. And like, mm-hmm. I had this connection and the same thing could go for when we, you and I went to the, the cave in show a couple of years ago, the oh, like man. Memorial giant, like I, I don't like maybe like maybe if that was re- if that was released as like an album or like a video, like maybe maybe cause that was so powerful and it was so awesome that like, it would mean something to me. But like, I'm not especially like super interested in like, Metallica in Kansas in 1992 like maybe it was a fucking rad show but like that's not the perp- that's like live music should you should just be connecting with that yeah I mean I mean that 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 cave in show too I mean that could be an episode unto itself it's like we ended up on side stage with nobody but the guys that were singing Zazobra songs it like it's I don't need, like, I think that's because we were really drunk and just wandered around until we were like oh well I mean I, I remember I just I saw you you were not sober and then I was like <laughs> and we're, we're on the stage and I'm like I'm just gonna sit down here for a while and then I realized that it's me you Jacob Bannon and and um, and Aaron Turner, and then they're swapping vocals, doing Zazobra songs. So I was like, I I belong here. I'm gonna sit here, and nobody stopped me. So to me, but but to your point, to me, I don't even know if I want a live record of that show because nothing's gonna replicate that experience of seeing of like sitting behind the band watching them play. It, it, you, I, I hear well, it, it, it might refresh my memory a bit. It, it might. It's a little, it might. little foggy. It um, might. It might. But uh, as far as as far as Danzig goes, I 
I am going to say that like he is a sh- more of a studio musician. Um, yeah. Again, having never seen them, seen the Misfits in obviously in their initial version. Right. I mean, like the the first time I saw Glenn live on stage was actually after I had seen them seen Misfits back together. I had seen those three shows in '96. I had seen uh, their tour which was either later 96 or 97 when they were headlining with Anthrax, Life of Agony and Cannibal Corpse. And, um, the misfits misfits were. Yeah. And like, this is now we're now into the era of, I don't know if American psycho was out, but now we're in the period of Michael Graves is like painting his whole, has like shaved part of his head and is painting himself as a skull wearing a top hat at times, which I'll leave you to Comment on top hats. Uh, that, that's when I saw them opening up for Megadeth in 97. American Psycho definitely was out. And uh, it was no shirt and a top hat and the skull face paint. And he fell on me. And he was sweaty and disgusting. And he was large because I was 17. But um, but what a great fucking show. Yeah, he and he, he was wearing pleather plant pleather pants oh, he at this de- point. He definitely, it was, he, he was definitely wearing the pleather pants. They were very tight. So yeah, I so I saw that lineup at least four times, um, and then I later saw the, that weird like 25th anniversary Misfits lineup that was like Jerry, Dez from Black Flag, and my confusion here on the drummer is, I think there were two drummers. I think it was Marky Ramone and Robo from Black Flag and Misfits. But looking at Wiki, like it looks like one replaced the other. But I'm positive there were two bit drummers on stage, and I would love if somebody could chime in at some point and tell me if I'm not fucking crazy and that there were two drummers at least on one leg of this tour. So I've seen I had seen a version of Misfits at least four times before I. I'm sorry, that Misfits one. So it would have been th- the three with the four times with Graves. Right. Then I finally saw Danzig. And I, it was a double header because it was the Danzig with Sam Hain and Hatebreed opening. Ooh. Where and that was the era where Glenn was full like Danzig the band were full on in their industrial period. And this right. was Todd Youth on guitar, and I for, I forgot who the other guys the rhythm section were. My apologies because I did look it up. It might have been like, it might have been Joey. Joey's in the band for a long. It's time. It's definitely possible it was Joey. But this is when they're full on like Glenn is in like fishnet shirt Ooh. and like they've got the like Rob Zombie intelligent lights going and it, like they're very heavily. <clears throat> right. Well, so 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 let me ask you this: um, during that period. Would that band play? Because I, I honestly don't know. Would they play shit off the first four records? Uh, I would have probably had to have stayed for the whole show to answer that question. <laughs> because we definitely we watched Sam Hain, who were entertaining and good, and did not sound great. Like the way that a lot of opening bands don't sound great, because you know, like it's very common that like an opening band does not get the full board. Right. You know, for those of you not in the in the <clears throat> in the industry, it's not weird at all that an opening band doesn't get to use the whole yeah. it's kind of weird when you are the opening band and you don't give yourself the whole board. <laughs> right, right. It's like I'm punishing myself. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah, it's like we're it's half the same band. But again, like I think like you and I had just kind of discussed this week prepping for this is like it may be that or it may be the fact that like 
Samhain stylistically had sort of more in that like death rock vein. Mm-hmm. And like if you listen to those records, they don't sound drastically like sonically different from say like Christian Death or even something like Gun Club. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of in there. So I don't know if maybe that's what like they were going for sound wise live. And this probably would have been before I would have been conscious of any of that stuff. So maybe like the fact that it sounded thinner, I was just like, eh? Right. And maybe 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 that was by design. But yeah, I don't remember what the set list was that night. I didn't uh, for Danzig. I didn't look it up, but we did not last the whole show. Also too, like the show was in Providence and we were we, at that point I was living in Boston and like I we had driven down the hour. So we were just like Let's go. Let's just, let's just go. Yeah, let's like, just yeah, go. let's stop at IHOP or Denny's or whatever, you know? I mean, I, I don't want to live in a world where pancakes aren't more important than, than Danzig. Fair. Um, and then, yeah, then I saw that weird Misfits lineup that I had just spoken about. So the next time I would have seen Danzig would have been in probably 2010 or 11 on one of the Blackest of the Black tours in Anaheim at the uh, – At the Grove? yeah. I can't wait for the live shows to go come back so I can not so I can still not go to the Grove. <laughs> I know I've I, I I've been to one show there and I'm think I'm good. Oh, dude, I've been to too many. Um, think I like honestly like I like the observatory coming to existence like removed me from usually having to go to the Grove for work. Right, and it's it it has made my it's made life so much more enjoyable. I mean, but at this point, if you're telling me that you're going to be playing all of your, like, if you put, if you were a band today and said, we are going to play a show and we're back and it's safe and come and we're going to play only our terrible songs. We know they're bad. Here we go. Ticket prices quadruple. Yeah. Take my money. I'm there. Like I, I miss, I miss live shows so much. You're a little easier than I am. Yeah, apparently. So, all right. So on on that note, I have one last question for you. And um, obviously we've talked about a breadth of of uh, of Danzig-y kind of situations here. But if we weren't talking about this band today, what band would you, would you want to come on here and speak and speak about? There's probably a bunch of bands, much the same way I don't really necessarily have a favorite song by like Misfits, even though I pulled one out for Danzig. Um I mean, I did ultimately pick one for Misfits. Like, I mean, it could really be a bunch of things. It could be Sabbath. But then again, saying Sabbath is your favorite band is A, super, like, easy. And also not easy because, like, what error are you talking about of Sabbath? Like, like, there's a lot of – like, to discuss Sabbath is, like, to discuss Glenn Danzig. And it's, like, to be, like – well, which point, like – because the Aussie lineup sounds fucking nothing like the DL lineup, which sounds – radically different than some of the like some of the yeah like so it's like you i probably you know sabbath the like the clash would be easier even though like they were musically diverse but like the clash i think the one i initially said to you was alice in chains and then i realized that like as much as i do like alice in chains and like were my favorite band in high school and like i celebrate their catalog they're not a band i know enough about like i I don't have enough working knowledge to be like well mark uh i think we covered i mean we went from sam hain to monster voodoo machine 
which is a sentence that nobody has ever said in the history of humanity. So I am. I, I'm wondering, like, I wonder, I'm wondering if like we're one of us is going to get an email tomorrow because like somebody that was in that band has like a Google like alert set for like searches for their band and like they just got two hits in like Southern California tonight and then, like they're like, what's happening? Well, is, are we back? Are we back? Well, it's funny because I be I become friends with the guy's brother from Monster Voodoo Machine through um, his band Biblical. He has another, like, a really good death metal band called Mount Cyanide. And, yeah, so we're buddies. So I guess I just have to tell, give him the tip-off about this. I don't. Maybe we're going to be part of the Monster Voodoo Machine reunion in 2022. I'm so on board for that. We'll be right up front. Mark, it's been fucking awesome to have you on here. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, thank you. Really, I I, uh, I appreciate you rolling through this twice with me. And uh, maybe one day, if this is big enough, we'll release the uh, the lost episode. As, uh, <laughs> as a, as a the, the, the lost tracks of <laughs> Robin Mark. Oh my God, there it is. Title's done. That'll be the Patreon. I'll I'll, I'll split the difference. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much, dude. Hey, thank you for having me. And no worries, I would I will I will talk about this stuff as anytime. Because we'll it's kind of what I do anyway. Oh, totally. We, like, you come over here. We talk about it. So, look, we'll, we'll, why don't we do this again for another band? Fuck it. Sure. We'll figure one out. All right, Mark. Thanks, dude. We'll talk to Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Have a good night. You Take too. care. Bye. Bye.